reminder for us to join together with one heart to accomplish our one mission of making disciples, of taking the gospel to the world. And to do that, we do that because there is one Savior for all of humankind, and that is Jesus. And I hope that you've come ready today to be a part of that, to be a part of what God is doing to spread the gospel throughout the world. And of course, what we do here today by contributing by supporting and certainly by praying is important but we are a part of what God is doing in this world each and every day and I hope that you embrace that commission that calling that challenge to make disciples I'm glad you're here today if you have a Bible look at Nehemiah chapter 5 Nehemiah's in the Old Testament we're going to be in chapter 5 today as we continue in this series we're calling restore Sometimes I miss the obvious. It's right there in front of me, and yet I miss it. It wasn't long ago that I was on the phone with someone, and we were talking, and he said something about meeting with me at a certain time. I said, yeah, that sounds good. Let me check my calendar on my phone and let you know, and I start looking for my phone. I'm looking everywhere for my phone. I'm lifting up papers. I'm looking. I, I get up and start walking. I said, I don't know. It's got to be here somewhere. And about that time, I realized this was my phone right in front of me. Well, really beside me, but right there, and I missed it. I mean, who actually uses their phone as a phone these days, right? I wasn't expecting that. 
Has that ever happened to you that you miss something so obvious? You're looking for your glasses and they're on your head. You're looking for your car keys and they're right there in front of you. You just miss it. You're oblivious to the obvious. And so often that happens to us when we're focused, really focused on something and we miss something else. And that's, I guess, okay if it's your phone or your car keys, but what if the something else is extremely important? What if it is so important that it deserves our full attention? And yet we miss it because we're focused over here on something that maybe isn't quite as important. Jesus was once asked, what's most important? Where should our focus be, Jesus? Of the 613 commands for God's people, what rises to the top? Where should we be focused? What's most important? The philosophers and theologians of Jesus' day like to debate this question. Which of the laws is most important? And now they thought, let's hear from the one who claims to be the Messiah. Let's see how he answers the question. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus' answer. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. When Jesus was asked, what's most important? Where should our emphasis be? Where should our focus be? He didn't hesitate. He said, you love God and you love others. Love God and love others. The two great commands, but really, really they're just one command, aren't they? A twofold command, you might say. Because our love for God, our devotion to God, should shape and inform how we approach other people. If we truly love God, then we should love other people. And yet, so often, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for us. We lose sight of what's most important, we miss the obvious. Sometimes we even work these two against each other. In the name of loving God, we mistreat other people. That makes no sense. As I said, our love for others should flow out of our devotion to God, our love for God. And if our devotion and love for God does not inform and shape how we treat other people, we are doing it wrong. This is a timeless truth. In God's kingdom, the nature of God's kingdom is to love God and love other people. And so this timeless truth really sets the stage for Nehemiah's story in chapter 5. Almost 500 years before Jesus answered that question about what was most important, Nehemiah is faced with a dilemma. A dilemma that would put that command to the test. As you may know, Nehemiah was, you might say, the foreman of this construction job, this divine construction job, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. The people of Judah, the Jews were in exile, but the Persian king says, Nehemiah, you can go back and begin to build the wall, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And so that's what he does. And as he gets to rebuilding the wall, he realizes pretty quickly that there's a problem. There's a problem with the people. 
There's a terrible injustice going on. It's almost like the perfect storm hit. Evidently, there's a famine in the land. Also, they are paying the the taxes to the Persian king and the Persian government. So that's pulling their resources. And now Nehemiah is asking them to spend time and energy and invest their resources into the wall project to rebuild the wall. And all of that just engulfs the Jewish people, and they are desperate. They can't even grow crops. They can't even put food on the table. And so what do they do? They do what all desperate people do. They borrow. So they mortgage their fields. They borrow money. It gets so bad that they sell their own children as servants to their fellow Jews. When you look at the text in verse 5, you might miss it. But the literal translation in verse 5 says, we have no power in our hands. We are powerless. No matter how hard we work, we can't improve our situation. It is hopeless because we are helpless. And so they, they have this outcry to Nehemiah, and there's great desperation in that outcry. And as I think about that image of, of hands, opened up and empty, powerless. I think about our world. We live in a world filled with people whose hands have no strength. Maybe they've never had power or strength, or maybe it's been taken away. And so many times, the people in our world who have no power, who have little strength, are taken advantage of, are exploited. What a terrible injustice. So Nehemiah responds to the injustice he hears, the injustice he sees. Look at verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interests. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Nehemiah is angry. He is upset. The economic and the social infrastructure of the very city he is trying to reform and restore is crumbling all around him but it's more this is personal these are his people these are God's people being taken advantage of by their fellow Jews you see this is a great injustice when the covenant people who are supposed to adhere to the law of God are taking advantage of each other are looking out only for themselves then there is great injustice and great wrong. This should never happen in God's kingdom. You see, lenders were acting more like ruthless loan sharks than they were family. How could they continue building a wall around the holy city when the people of the city were being victimized by each other? And as we read this text, we see what's going on. We hear the outcry. 
just like we do when we open our eyes and we see the injustice in our world and we say, somebody should do something. Nehemiah, don't miss the obvious. Don't be so focused on stacking rocks around this city that you miss what's going on to the people of this city. Well, he didn't. He didn't miss the obvious. He gathers the officials. He gathers the nobles. And he says, those of us who are lending money, and he includes himself, he says, it's time to make some changes. We will stop charging interest, but that's not enough. We will give the interest that we have charged back. In fact, we will give back the fields, the vineyards, the houses. We'll give it all back. We will right the wrongs. That's the nature of God's kingdom, to bring justice where there is injustice. Nehemiah says, for those of you who are visual learners, let me give you an object lesson. And he takes the folds in his garment and he empties them out. It's almost like he was taking his hands, pulling out his pockets. <laughs> he pulls out his pockets and he says, that's what God is going to do to you if you break this promise, this oath that you're making to give back to the people. God will turn you upside down and shake you till it's all gone and you won't have anything. This is serious. Nehemiah responds to the injustice. Furthermore, he reminds us, and I'm sure them, that he didn't accept the governor's food allowance. You see, he was the governor. He could have taken the taxes levied against his own people and used that money to put food on his table. He had every right to do that. And he said, I chose not to do that. For the sake of the people, he refused the governor's food allowance. And speaking of his table, we read in the text that he also reminds us that he welcomes as many as 150 Jewish people to his table. That's a big table. But not only that, as governor, he is obliged to welcome any traveling official of the Persian government who might be coming through Jerusalem onto the Persian court. He is obliged to welcome them to his table as well. There's always a place at Nehemiah's table for others. And as Evan reminded us this morning, we have a table, and at that table, we come together. We join together, and there's great diversity at that table. And the table of God is always a place of union, of joining together, of fellowship. When Nehemiah had every right to charge interest, to take from his own people, when he had every right to do that, he didn't do it. He chose rather to extend mercy and hospitality. What would explain these unexpected actions from Nehemiah, this unexpected kindness, this subversive attitude toward the people? What would explain that? What's the answer? Nehemiah tells us, verse 15, but out of reverence for God. I did not act like that. I did not take advantage of them. Yes, I had every right to. Yes, others before me have. But out of reverence for God, 
I couldn't treat them this way. Do you remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving others. It's what is truly most important. What we sometimes overlook. What we sometimes miss. But that's nothing new. It's happened for generations. It happens all the time. It happened in Jesus' day. People wronged others in the name of doing right. So in Mark chapter 3, we see this fascinating story. It's the Sabbath day. And Jesus wants to teach not just those people a lesson. He wants to teach us a lesson. And he comes across a man who has a, a wounded, injured hand. And he brings him up in front of everyone. And he asks a simple question. It's sort of a multiple choice question. Which is right to do? To do good or to do evil? Which is better to do, Jesus asked, to help someone or to leave people helpless? We say, well, that's, that's an easy test. I'm going to ace that test. It's always better to do good. It's always better to help people, right? We all know the answer to that. I mean, after all, we all go to church and we've studied our Bibles. And you would expect people even then to say that. But Jesus asked that question and there is silence. Crickets. Nothing. Isn't that an easy question? Yes, it is. But not when you're missing the obvious. Not when you're focused on something that is less important than what you should be focused on. Because for those people that day who heard Jesus, who saw this unfolding in front of them, there's this tension inside of them. Wait, wait a second, Jesus. We know where you're going with this. You can't help that guy. Today is the Sabbath. And if you help that guy, that's work, that's labor, and you're breaking the Sabbath law. You can't do that. How dare you help him Listen to the words. How dare you help that person on this holy day? You know how Jesus responded? The same way Nehemiah responded when he saw injustice. When he saw people missing the importance of people. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. You remember Nehemiah's response? He was angry. Jesus sees something similar and he is angry. Jesus heals the man, even though it's the Sabbath. Why was Jesus so upset? Why was Nehemiah so upset? Why should we respond the same way? Here's why. Because when people are sacrificed on the altar of our plans and our projects and our programs, we have misplaced priorities. We're doing it all wrong. If we are treating people wrong in the name of doing right, then we are missing it. And I wonder if God's not angry with us sometimes. People are so often overlooked, even mistreated in the name of our agenda, our programs, our traditions. Maybe even our own devotion to God or our own theology. If our beliefs or our practices as Christians cause us to ignore or mistreat other people, we aren't doing it the right way. 
maybe said in a more positive way, when we truly love God, when we truly are devoted to God, we will genuinely love other people. Not just select people, not just people who are nice to us or who look like us or act like us or believe like us, but all people. We cannot say we're doing something for the sake of others if we're ignoring them. We cannot say that we care about others if we only care about certain others. We cannot say people are important if we allow gross injustice to happen to people all around us. We cannot say that we care about people as individuals if we go on social media and blast people who disagree with us and treat them with hatred. It doesn't work. Penny Lee, who is a pro-life activist, tells the story one time when she was giving a speech trying to encourage people to, to do something, to encourage life. After her speech, this gentleman came up to her, this older gentleman, and he told her this story. He said, I grew up in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. He said, we had kind of heard about what was happening to the Jews, but we just sort of looked the other way because we didn't know what to do about it, and we just sort of distanced ourselves from it. He said, I consider myself a Christian, always have, and I went to church when I was younger. He said, behind our little church building, there was a, a railroad, railroad track. He said, every Sunday morning, you could hear the, the train whistle sound. And then those old train wheels clanking along the track. He said, it happened every Sunday. He said, but one day we were incredibly disturbed because we realized as that train rumbled by our little church building, while we were meeting together <clears throat> to worship God, that we heard cries from people. Cries from people on the train, in the cars, on the train. And we realized that train was full of Jewish people. That train was taking them to concentration camps. That their destination ultimately was death. He said, we didn't know what to do. We were so disturbed by that. And every Sunday, we would hear the train whistle and we would hear the cries. He said, we realized that every Sunday, the train whistle sounded at the same time. And so we decided to do something. It would be at that time that we would sing our hymns, that we would drown out the cries of the people on the train. And we would sing louder if we heard any of the cries of the people on those trains. He said, those cries still haunt me. So often, we're focused on the wrong thing. So often, we treat people in ways that are wrong, in the name of doing what is right. And so as we think about our place in this world, our role in this community, and really, on this planet especially as we think about Commission Sunday and what we're trying to do through our mission efforts here we realize what's most important 
Why do we support missionaries in these places? Why do we send mission trips to these places? Why do we give money to make these things happen? Why do we send care packages and do vacation Bible schools and sit down and open up the word with people and serve them meals and build their homes and have camp for their kids? Why do we do all those things? Because the people. Because we care about people. Because we live in a world filled with people who are holding their hands out saying we have no power and we here have so much power and privilege and blessing how could we not help them how could we go on singing our songs even louder drowning out the voices of those in need we live in a world of people who are lost apart from Jesus Christ and we have the good news the gospel why would we not take it may our programs and we have a lot of them here may our plans and we are always making plans may our projects there are many never ever be more important than people May they simply be a means to a greater end of loving God and loving others. We're going to join together in prayer and then we're going to pass the plates. All the money given today, as you know, goes to support our missionaries and to send mission trips and to buy care packages. All those things we just talked about. So I hope that you will give intentionally and cheerfully and sacrificially let's pray together father god we thank you so much for what you have given us god when we think about our blessings so often our minds go to the material things and and those are blessings from you father we have it so good here but father we are thankful for the spiritual blessings of peace of joy of hope of salvation of the gospel And Father, you have entrusted to us the message of your Son, the message of the good news that rings throughout your kingdom, and that is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Father, help us to share that message with everyone that we can in many ways, Father, in many places. So God, as we give this morning, our prayer is that this money, these resources, our investments in your kingdom, that they truly make a difference in people's lives for all of eternity. So Father, we entrust this money to you. Use it to make a difference in people's lives and their eternities. And we just thank you for being a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. A common gift to the Savior, a common bond, holding heart to the Lord, a common strength when
Part of this congregation. This congregation always joins together to meet needs, the needs of people, and I'm thankful to be a part of a church family like that, who truly wants to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that is the challenge that we have, to focus on people. I got to tell you, it's easy for me to get distracted. It's so easy for me to miss the obvious. I have so many things to do, I have so many things on my list, so many things on my calendar, and I'm just trying to get through the day and accomplish as much as I can. And I gotta confess to you, so often, I do those things at the expense of people. The very things that I'm trying to do for people, sometimes I miss the people along the way. And I am trying to do better at that, to be in the moment. God calls us into this world And what we do to bless people and to make a difference in people's lives isn't just to go on mission trips and support missionaries. Because you have an office, you have a school, you have a home. You go to the store, to restaurants, out into the community. Every day, every week, you come across people. You come here and see people. Some people you know really well, some people you may not know at all. Some people you're wondering, are you a visitor or are you a member here? Because I don't know you. That's okay. Every person represents an opportunity for you to share Christ, to embody the gospel, to let someone else see what it looks like to have the heart of Christ, to disciple someone, to minister to them. And when you see wrong, to bring right to that situation. When you see injustice, to bring the mercy and justice of God to that situation. We have opportunities every day. May God use us, not just in Montreal, in Nicaragua, in Mexico, but right here, right here. Don't miss the obvious. Don't miss what's most important. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, if we can help you on the journey of loving others and loving God, we'd be happy to do that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we have a couple of shepherds and their wives that will go into the parlor or room right behind me, and you can feel free to exit out any of these doors and make your way around to the parlor and they'd be happy to receive you and pray for you. 
or you can come to the front and we would be happy as a congregation to pray over you today. Maybe you want to to follow the example of Reese and Ethan. What a joy that is to see two people come to Christ and put him on in baptism. Maybe it's time for you to do the same thing. Hey, just because we already had a baptism, two baptisms, doesn't mean we can't have two more today. So maybe today is your day. If there's something we can do for you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Faithful love flowing